Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's Buckeyes Rock Pop Rambles. Hello, I'm your host, Angela Martin. If you didn't understand what I just said, <laughs> um, <laughs> said it quite quickly. This is Buckeyes Rock Pop Rambles, your weekly fix of music trivia from the band Buckeye. And I'm your host, Angela Martin. And joining me this week is... Kerry Smith. Also from the band Buckeye. I mean, I feel like that sort of goes without saying doesn't it at this point well, someone may have randomly just discovered our podcast listened to it for the first time they go who's kerry smith she doesn't say what well, she does you know is she like everyone madonna should, everyone, everyone should know everyone should know who i am basically yeah. is what i'm saying so. well they should now seeing that we were just featured in clash magazine so, i know right? right how exciting stardom and still no pay you know, at the moment for this podcast. But uh, but yeah, no, we, we were featured in an article by John Kennedy from Radio X who picked his top five music podcasts to check out and we were one of them. So we were dead chuffed with that. Yeah, what a legend. And um, I don't know, you said had such lovely, kind words to say about I it know, as well. I know, I know. Um, very exciting. I was thinking of nicking his um, descriptions of the podcast and just using them because they're so much better than ours. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what this show's about, right? <laughs> it's good when someone else tells you what your own show is about. <laughs> exactly. That tends to be how these things work. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a theme this week. We normally have a theme anyway. Um, and this week is going to be, this week, this for this month, but for this week's show is Blue January. So it's songs that feature the colour blue, not Blue the band. <laughs> yeah, an important an important distinction, although I think we did both somewhat consider whether we should do something featuring Blue the band, but decided against it. I'll leave that to to someone else to do that. I just I just thought it was too obvious. I reckon Gracie Two Keys will, will jump on that at some point, given the chance. Well, I think the remit was it had to have Blue in the title. And do Blue yeah. have a song called Blue? Probably not. But I mean, if we were struggling to find stuff to talk about, I feel like we could have twisted it. But I found plenty of, of interest and stuff with songs with the word Blue in. So it was fine. I did. And as always had to kind of go, I'm going to do five. No, I'm not. That's that's just going to be the <laughs> longest podcast ever. Don't do five, Angela. Narrow it down. Narrow it down. Um, yeah, I started off planning to do four and ended up only doing three. Yeah, I've got I've got three as well. One of mine is a bit longer than the other two. But um, I feel like mine are all relatively equal. We'll see what happens when I actually start talking through them. But um, uh, yeah, I'm sure that all listeners will be grateful that we're only going to talk about six songs and not ten. <laughs> hopefully they listen to the show because they enjoy it and not torture. They go, oh my God, no, don't talk about another song. No. True. <laughs> but, you know, still within limits, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we also have new music. Three new tracks to play you this week. One by Hadaby, formerly known as Foundlings. We also have the new one from the band Moses. And who who have you brought along, Kerry, today? And uh, we have a track from Tom Lumley and the Brave Liaison. Yeah. Three really good tracks and three good bands that you should definitely, definitely check out. So... Must def. Shall we, shall we crack on? Yeah, I guess so. Do you want to go first or do you want to flip a coin? 
I can I can go first if you like. I, yeah, go on. I want to put my feet up for a bit. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to take us on a journey all the way back to the 1950s. Doodle, doodle, doodle. Thanks for the <laughs> time machine sound. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm going to do throughout your story. I'll, be, I'll do the sound effects. Perfect. I love it. Don't say that we don't have any production value <laughs> on this show. Only the best. Only the best. All righty. So I'm going to start off talking about blue suede shoes. Not to be worn uh, in the rain. Not what? Not to be worn in the rain. Not to be worn in the rain. Right. Yeah, good point. Mm. Good point. And it's raining a lot at the moment. So, you know, keep your suede at home for now. Yeah, if you like it and you want to keep it looking fresh. Fresh. <laughs> so, Blue Suede Shoes is a rock and roll standard, uh, which was written and first recorded by Carl Perkins in 1955. So it's considered to be one of the first rockabilly records incorporating elements of blues, country and pop music and the pop music of the time. Um, obviously, kind of the, the more famous version is the Elvis Presley version, um, which was then recorded the following year in 1956 and um, was the opening track of his self-titled debut album. So Johnny Cash, there's a lot of there's a lot of names that pop up in this. So Johnny Cash was actually the person who gave Perkins the initial idea for the song. Okay. Back in the uh, autumn of 1955, while Perkins, uh, Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, and other Louisiana Hayride acts were touring through the South. And Cash told Perkins about a black airman called C.V. White, who he'd met when he was serving in the military in Germany, who had referred to his military regulation airman shoes as blue suede shoes. Um, They were actually just like the Air Force issued black shoes, but when he would wear them off base, he would say, tonight they're blue suede. Party shoes. Party shoes. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Cash suggested that Perkins should write a song about the shoes, um, to which Perkins replied, I don't know anything about shoes. How can I write a song about shoes? Which I mean, fair enough. Fair fair enough. (laughs) Or I really don't have any interest in shoes. But, uh, you know. (laughs) So yeah, I feel like Cash suggested it and Perkins was a bit like, not interested. Um, But then later that year, Perkins played um, a dance on December the 4th. Um, and he noticed a couple dancing near the stage. And um, between songs, he heard the boy say, uh-uh, don't step on my suede, which probably is not how he said it, but that's how I'm going to read it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so uh, he looked down and noted that the boy was wearing blue suede shoes and one had a scuff mark on it. And he thought to himself, good gracious, a pretty little thing like that. And all, all he can think about is his blue suede shoes. Um, so then that night Perkins began working on a song based on that incident um, and his first thought was to frame it with a nursery rhyme so the song is based on the nursery rhyme one for the money so think about that opening lines of the song right one for the money two for the show three to make ready um, and then it says go cat go Mm -hmm. but the the nursery rhyme ends with and four to go and apparently um, it was a nursery I didn't know that was a nursery rhyme no neither did I when you said that I think I think her research is a bit wrong. I think she's no. Apparently, no, it's not. I, I I checked myself. Don't worry. So it is a nursery rhyme um, that apparently children were using as early as the eighteen twenties to count before starting a race no. or a, another activity. Well, so a way of, golly, like, Miss Molly, I never knew that. I know, right? Um, 
So the story goes that he left his bed, having had this idea, grabbed his Les Paul guitar, um, started with an A chord, and then after playing five chords while singing, well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, now go man go, was how it started, how he his initial idea went. He broke into a boogie rhythm. Um, he wrote the song down on a brown paper potato sack. Because um, they didn't and... have paper back then. No, okay. no paper. Only a brown paper potato sack for some reason. Um, and um, so he wrote the title out as Blue Suede, spelt S-W-A-D-E. And later said, like, I couldn't even spell it right <laughs> at the time. <laughs> um, so uh, according to Perkins, on December the 17th, 1955, uh, he wrote Blue Suede Shoes, recorded it on December the 19th, so two days later for some records. Um, and Sun's producer, Sam Phillips, then convinced Perkins to change the lyric from Go Man Go in the first take of the song to Go Cat Go in the second, which is the one that's then was then released, um, as he thought the, the change would make it seem a bit less country and a bit more like a rock song. I mean, I would hear it as Go Mango. Like you're singing about a mango, mango, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that was was good to change that. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, So yeah, so it's go cat go. Um, So a bit of a sad part of the story. When Perkins was driving to make his first national appearance to promote the song on the Perry Como show, he got into an accident that seriously injured him and killed his brother. God. So he said, I was 85 miles away from being the first rockabilly on national television. That's how he remembered it, but got into this car accident. So Perkins never fully recovered either emotionally or his career. Um, and so with him unable to tour and promote the song, it was Elvis's cover version that then sort of became a massive hit. Um, and that copy was was recorded at RCA Studios in Nashville. Um, so... In the lyrics, it describes some of the things that Perkins would prefer over getting his shoes scuffed. Sort of like that's the lyrical yeah. basis okay. of the song. So the list includes um, some interesting behaviour. So like uh, stepping on his face. <laughs> mm, okay. S- stealing his car. Yeah. Burning down his house. Okay. And and drinking his liquor. He's a bit angry, wasn't he? I know, right? It's one of those songs I've never really listened to the lyrics that hard. No. No, I'm going to um, listen to it after after this. But God, I know. What, what an end for for him! Like, what a sting in the tail that you know all of God that the song goes to someone else and yeah, for sure. Wow. Um, and yeah, because obviously, I mean, the version that we all know and have heard is the Elvis Presley version, right? That's the one that uh-huh. sort of like stood the test of time. But what I was just saying about the lyrics, um, kind of with the describing those behaviours. The, some in the sort of Sinatra-loving older generation were horrified and used the song to back their case that rock and roll was the devil's music. God. Sort of around that time when that was a thing, right? So this was like, stuff like that in the lyrics was used to argue that. Um, and interestingly, that rhyme, the one that we didn't know was a nursery rhyme, has then been used in loads and loads of songs since the 50s. So the earliest examples are in the introductions of 1955 songs, um, Roll Hot Rod Roll by Oscar McLolly and and obviously Blue Suede Shoes. Um, and then later it's been used a lot in hip hip hop. Um, I have to admit, I've not heard of most of these, but Spoon and Rap by Spoonie G. Okay. Jessamine 
by Dassey FX, Bomb Diggy by Eric Sermon, Elevators Me and You by Outcast, Anything Goes by Ras Cass, and Go to Church by Ice Cube. And it's also been used in pop music with the lyrics appearing in Taylor Swift's Champagne Problems and Lana Del Rey's Million Dollar Man. That's crazy. Uh, just So I wonder though, I wonder rhyme. if it's like, just... I feel like, but I feel like it's probably been featured in all those songs more so because it's in Blue Suede Shoes than because of like the nursery rhyme. Well, yeah, I wonder how many of those people knew it was a mer- uh, mercy rhyme. God, <laughs> nursery. A, a mercy rhyme. Well, given how violent he was, it probably was thinking about that. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> no, the, like as a nursery rhyme, like I, I really didn't know that at all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just you just think of it as being like a rock and roll yeah. thing, don't you? Yeah. From that song. Um, but yeah, it was from a nursery rhyme, which I thought was really interesting. So yeah, an in, an interesting song. Um, I like the the sort of the background of of where it came from as well, with sort of the the story that Johnny Cash gave him about the sort of the um you know, the black M and CV whites in his shoes and then also the the story about the couple at the dance. That's the nice thing about you hear about, and I go into that a bit in one of my stories, actually, the background of the songs. And it's just really nice to kind of understand that. And I think it gives you a new appreciation um, and a new view of a song when you listen to it. You listen to it a little bit differently, I think, once you kind of know the meaning behind it. Because certainly Blue Suede Shoes was just something that I've never really thought about. Really. Yeah, I've never, I've just sort of been like, oh, it's just one of those, it's a, it's a Elvis Presley song, it's a rock and roll song. Yeah. It's a, st- you know, it's a, as you as it's called, like a rock and roll standard. It's yeah. one of those songs that's been played by lots of different people. And I've just never thought much about it beyond the surface level of it just being a song that I know yeah. that I've heard. Good job. That was good. Thanks. Yeah, I've, I feel enlightened Thanks. about that. Back, back, back on form after a little break. Yeah, well Over done. Christmas. Well done, Keza. Well done. Cheers. Cheers. Right. Well, have you heard of Ella May Morse? I have not heard of Ella May Morse. Well, you should have heard of her because I enjoy saying Ella May Morse, though. Yes, yeah, good name. Ella May Morse. Great it name. It rolls off the tongue. Big fan. Well, I'd heard anyway, I'd heard on. of the song "The House of Blue Lights," but I didn't really know much about. Ella May Morse. It's like a kind of um, a blues song, right? To the point that was even because we had like a kind of blues themed wedding, me and Julia, and that song was played um, at the the party afterwards and, and stuff like that. So, um, so really, I should have known a bit more about her, but I didn't. Just liked the song, but uh, yeah. So Ella May Morse. So here we go. So just a little bit of background on her. She was born on September the twelfth. 1924 she was an american singer of sort of popular music whose 1940s and 1950s recordings kind of mixed jazz blues and country styles and influenced the development of rock and roll we hear this all the time that you know this person was the person who helped create rock and roll but you know i think a whole bunch of artists that did it but she's certainly someone that um that is cited for that her 1942 recording of Cow Cow Boogie with Freddie Slack and his orchestra gave Capitol Records its kind of first gold record. So Capitol Records was starting out and she's actually um, one of the people that is is kind of seen as building that label. And she was the real success story that made Capitol Records go on and flourish and, and, and bring on new artists and develop their careers. Um, so when she was 12... 
She auditioned for Jimmy Dorsey's band, lying, saying she was 19 years old. This is a 12-year-old. Wow. You know, you just think, who is going to believe that? A 12-year-old, 19. 19. I think there's... I don't know. Some people... I mean, I'm pretty bad at judging people's ages. I think that some people... Sometimes it's obvious, but I think that some people do appear sort of ageless in a way. I suppose you know I mean? so. But I guess, that you know, her mother was there at the audition and, and backed her up on it. So, you know, and and as, as um, Ella Mae Morse said in an interview, and there's a really, really cool interview from like the, the 70s, I think, of her as this sort of, you know, elderly lady at that point talking about her career. And she's just so charismatic. You can see why she was such a, a star, so confident and just, mm. you know, really witty. But she talks sure. she talks about this period and she basically said that um, that they really needed the money. So it was a lie that came together and, and it wasn't that she was going to go on tour on her own. Her mother would go with her. Um, so there was nothing untoward with with this yeah. her mother was still looking after her um yeah. so she passed audition and joined the band but shortly after that they kind of headed to new york new york even and then two weeks later the school board caught up with them and the truth came out and uh, they basically said to jimmy well you're now legally responsible for her education but she'll need a private tutor and you need to look after her and she can only work X amount of hours or whatever. I didn't even know they had like a law about working hours back then, but apparently yeah. they, they did. Um, and that, yeah, that he would be responsible for her general care. So basically he decided to fire <laughs> Ella rather than take on any of that. And so she was sent back to Texas. But mm. before leaving, the piano player from the band, Freddie Slack, said to her, if I ever have my own band and you hear about it, I want you to get in touch with me because I really like the way that you sing and I don't care how old you are. Um, and that's exactly what happened, like just three years later, and the two began working together. And this was back in 1942. And they signed to Capitol Records and became one of the first artists. And as I said before, like some might say, the artist that propelled the label to great heights. Her first record alone sold 12 million copies, which was completely wow. unheard of for the time. Like she was a superstar. No one had was selling that amount of records. Amazing. Certainly not just like this artist that's sprung up from nowhere. Um, and the, and yet and yet we yeah and I'm I'm sure you're going to get onto it. And, yeah, but the fact that we don't really know who she is now. No, exactly. But um, I think there's there's a slight. I mean, we should know who she is. Because yeah. she had a number of records that did incredibly well and were, were covered by by all of the greats. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that she wrote them, as a lot of artists didn't write their sure. own songs back then, but she certainly fronted that. But um but yeah, so the House of Blue Lights in particular has been hailed as one of the kind of, you know, seminal recordings in rock and roll history. Um and like the Andrew sisters and Chuck Berry were just a couple of people that went on to to cover that song. And as for Ella, she ceased to perform. Uh, well, not perform. Sorry, that's wrong. Um, my notes say she actually ceased recording in 1957. And she'd taken like a lot of um, career breaks in in that time. Like she she got she got married twice. Obviously, she got divorced in between. She wasn't like bigamy. Um, <laughs> 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 she she'd been married twice and she'd had kids and she took a break during that time and Capitol Records 
begged her in the fifties to kind of come back and do some some recordings to kind of boost boost their organisation. But you know, the times had sort of moved on and her style kind of hadn't as much. So even though her first song was quite successful when she came back, the rest weren't. And I think it's just one right. of those things, you know, I mean, I can look back at the 90s and see, you know, if you look back at the charts, you can see bands that have had like number one albums, stuff like that. You go, who is that? You know, yeah, people can have like sure. success and then, and then fade. But she is someone, especially because of the, you know, 12 million records sold and her influence and just how popular she was for quite a number of years. I am surprised that, you know, we haven't we're not more aware heard, of her. exactly that we're not we're not more aware of her. But like I say, she ceased recording in 1957, but continued performing until the early 90s. Um, and in 1999, she died of respiratory failure in Arizona, and she was aged 75. Um, but yeah, so I've I've got loads of links to information about her. Um, sadly, her Wikipedia entry is not that. That long again. I just find it, you know, I had to do quite a bit of digging to get the information that I, yeah. I got, um, and and a lot of the stuff that was really useful was just old interviews on um, on YouTube, basically of her. So um, yeah, which were really great. So I'll, I'll post them in so you can just have a have a listen because there's lots of other sort of great great stories, and I could have talked about her for like a whole a whole episode. Yeah. But um, just wanted to give you a little bit of a snippet yeah no i'm definitely i'm i'm hooked i'm interested i want to know more yeah she's really really cool she seemed really really cool so um that was lma morse with the house of blue lights very cool where like whereabouts in her career did that particular song fall was that like an early song or was that that was an early song song. so she probably had about six like really big songs um and she played with orchestras and toured and was on every kind of TV show that you can imagine and on all the radio stations. So there was a lot of coverage for her and she was like a sort of most loved darling. And um, yeah. just the way that she she sang um, and the way that she she kind of used her voice in, in all the different styles that she merged together was really quite quite unique if you listen to the mm. different different songs um, there. And, I mean, the, the surprising surprising thing was that um, Chuck Berry, when he first heard um, her sing, he he was surprised when he met her. He went, oh, my God, I thought you were one of us. You're a little white girl. <laughs> so he, he was, like, really, really shocked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, she, yeah she, she had a love of music from, from a very early age, from seeing buskers playing... Um, playing a lot a lot of songs um out on the streets because they couldn't get gigs in white joints and she used mm. to hang around a lot on the streets and listen to them play and and try and mimic the way that they sang and, and stuff like that so you know I, I think things like that when you hear how people discovered music so long ago is really interesting I can't imagine discovering music by like hearing a busker on the street now Do you, not that there aren't good buskers but yeah, you know, we I, mean, just, I mean, I think that yeah. does still happen to some extent, but I know what you mean. Now, you know, we have access to so much yeah. music so easily via the internet that, yeah, you mostly discover your music through 
that don't you rather than out in the world i mean you still do you still do yeah. catch bands for the first time at gigs and yeah of course of but, course but there's a but there's a difference in the sense that that used to be the only way to discover new music whereas now yeah. we have so many different ways well music that was kind of banned in most places and then you have to you know such hard work to just hear something that yeah. that you you love you know the, the amount of effort that was put into discovering stuff i I suppose that's also what like made it more special yeah do you know what i mean i think that there's some as much as like i think it's amazing and it's great that we have access to to all so much now it's also i don't know something's lost from that as well in sort of like those special can get a bit lazy discoveries can get a bit lazy um but yeah so i think it might be time for a bit bit of new music yeah, and the band, I, you know, we discovered, how did we discover, actually, I have no idea how I discovered this I, band. Gen, I, I feel like I just generally had sort of heard of, the, actually, I'm, I'm not even sure who you're, who you're about to play, actually. Who <laughs> are you going to play first? You I'm do assuming. know, because I, I told you the band. So I know, but I forgot, yeah. didn't I? <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, Haddaby, um, who are formerly known as the Foundlings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. They've just, uh, yeah, I, I can't. I think, I think, I, I think I discovered them through you, and I think I discovered them through, I don't know, maybe Gemma Freeman. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe it's the Beckdale Sound Test. I don't know. I can't remember. But they're a fantastic band, and they've got a new single out. And I said that you know, um, so they're back with a new single. It's called Another Life which is a bit of a taster because they've got a debut album on the way that lands in April of this year, which they managed to record in just five days between between national lockdowns. So they kind of wow. quickly jumped into a studio and got it done as quick as they as they could. Um, and I think I think honestly I think you can tell by listening to the single, I think it's this it's got this kind of energy to it that's uh, that that can only happen when when you're you're working and almost I, I imagine I don't know the ins and outs of how they recorded it but almost in like a kind of live setting of how you might record. sort of an, an immediacy to it yeah yeah that's the word so without chatting any more about it have a listen this is another life.
So that was Another Life by Had a Bee. Uh, doesn't disappoint that, does it? I really like that. I really, really like that. Really, I think, um, yeah. So there's something really, uh, really, really catchy and addictive about the melody. That yeah, like really draws you in. I really like it. And there's nice little bits that sort of weaving out with the extra voices yeah. coming in, and uh, yeah, the drop down bits to more picky guitar bits and all of that jazz. Yeah, now really, got a really nice, yeah. really, really nice feel to it. It's got a nice warmth to it as well yeah sounds sounds made quite me, big made me smile yeah i just think it's one of those songs i can imagine sort of poe going around um <laughs> in in a club somewhere to that one yeah yeah really but, really like that <laughs> always catch you poe going around in clubs occasionally occasionally if i like the song uh-huh if i like the song i haven't been to a club in like in ages <laughs> no, any, well, no one has no one has so yeah all right next time i go to a club I will pogo around. I can't wait. To anything. Can't wait. But especially if they play this song. Love it. So can't that's wait. so the debut album of the same title, I might add, called Another Life, is out on the 30th of April um, via, uh, what are they called? Last Night from Glasgow, um, who are a great, great label, who are friends with our label. When I say our label, they not the indeed. one we own but the one we're signed to reckless reckless yes so uh yeah make sure you check them out we'll put links in the show notes so you can stream it um listen to their stuff follow them on all their social channels and buy their records and and all of that i'm sure they've got like a pre-order do all the things all the things right so we're talking about songs with the color blue in them can imagine this took us a very long time to come up with this theme <laughs> before before we carry on i'm interested to know because the idea we came up with it right because of like the idea of blue january january being a bit depressing yeah do you feel do you feel like you're having a blue january or do you feel like it's not been too blue uh i i don't i don't feel blue necessarily no but then i don't really feel like sad in january anyway um, do you not? No. Is it? Is it not generally a time that makes you feel a bit blue? No, not really. But I understand. Obviously, a lot of people do at that at that time. But uh, no, I don't. Me and Caroline, when we lived together, um, Caroline's a, a good a good friend of mine. We um, didn't take our Christmas tree down because we were lazy, and we thought that we'd just leave it up and theme the decorating of it every single month. So we did blue january for the christmas tree and then we got bored after that and by april, <laughs> by april we were like we really do need to take this christmas tree down <laughs> it was a fake christmas tree it wasn't like a dead like no needles christmas tree there in the corner right but um but yeah there you go that's a bit Fair of enough. insight into how lazy i am <laughs> <laughs> i mean january is a time to be lazy i feel i feel like that's fair enough do you you feel blue no not particularly i was just interested i feel like i get not that blue but i get a bit depressed with like just the grayness and it's a boring month isn't it and it's just a boring month yeah everyone's skin a bit broke yeah exactly but no it's not but and and now we're in lockdown which potentially makes it worse this year as well but no, it's been all, it's been all well, right so far. It just feels like Groundhog Day. It's like it, this this could be November. This could be any month, really. It's just like it's true. Yeah, the only difference is very, I don't have true. like twinkling fairy lights on the Christmas tree because I did take the Christmas tree down 
actually, Beth Beth went, it's not Christmas anymore. We need to take the tree down. <laughs> She's three years old. I was like, oh, okay. That's amazing. When, you're, when, you, when your child is the one to be like, don't be lazy, Angela. Take the tree down. Sort it out. <laughs> so, yeah, the tree, the tree did come down on the, it's the 5th of January. So it came down in good time. Fair enough. So, yeah. But anyway, I was just interested. I was just interested to know you wanted if it was a, me to... if it really was a blue January or not. No, not really. It's just as I say, like Groundhog Day. I'll tell you what is blue. What is sad is me and Julia's inability to keep houseplants alive now that we're at home. <laughs> right. When we were out all the time, houseplants flourished, uh-huh. looked beautiful. Now they're all like shriveled, and it's like you know. I've googled lots of things. Am I watering them too much? Am I not watering them enough? Um, are they are they you know is it too hot in here? Is it too cold? I don't know. Just I'm um, looking at a peace lily right now, and it's looking anything but peaceful. It's um yeah. I I have never even attempted to entrust myself with keeping a houseplant alive because I know that I'll fail. And there are you can see probably a houseplant behind <laughs> can me see right a now. Spider plant and behind you. There is, yeah, Very and there 70s. are many a flourishing houseplant in this house, but it has absolutely nothing to do with me. <laughs> it's all my housemate who keeps them alive. <laughs> yeah, they're just they're just all looking like all the plants are just looking really spindly and just unwell. Um, yeah, I sort of want to just say, right, if you're not going to love me back, houseplants, I'm going to ditch you and I'm going to just replace <laughs> you with healthy looking plastic plants. That's probably the way forward for me. Plastic plants. Plastic plants, yeah, yeah, I think that would be the only... I mean, I feel like I barely keep myself alive, let alone <laughs> anything else, so... <laughs> uh, so you're not doing dry January? Uh, no, I managed two dry days, but that's like... Proud of you. For the, probably the first time in about three months. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know, in lockdown, there's really nothing else to do. No. So, you know, I've just accepted the situation for myself, if I'm honest. <laughs> Right, should we should we crack on with another another tale of a go song it, with yeah. blue in the title? Go on. Can tell I, can me, I tell go me next? Can, oh yeah, thank you, thank you. Tell me something blue. I'm gonna tell you all about well, a little bit about Joni Mitchell, Blue, Blue the song and Blue the album. Ooh, Ooh double trouble, double double trouble, double the length of the other one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. So it was her fourth studio album that was released on June 22nd, 1971. So this year, in June, will be the 50-year anniversary of it. So I should have saved this for then. Maybe I'll just regurgitate it. Just take this whole section (laughs) and put it in there. Take it, chew it up, reorganise it, spit it back out. Um, But it was written and produced entirely by Joni Mitchell, it was recorded in 1971, so the year it was released, at A&M Studios in Hollywood, California. Mm-hmm. It's a very raw and honest album that explores the sort of various facets of relationships from sort of infatuation, insecurity, and her decision to put a child up for adoption, which I did not know that until researching this. Um, so the album, I mean, she says it's the most honest thing that she's ever written in her whole life and it's based on all of her own experiences and she kind of just says it as it is so it's sort of beautiful sad nostalgic it's bitter but there's still a sort of touch of innocence in it as as well 
Um, but so, you know, much of Blue resulted from her sort of drawing back the curtain, I suppose, on um, her innermost struggles. And she said that um, in 1979, in an interview, she said, the Blue album, there's hardly a dishonest note in the vocals. At that period of my life, I had no personal defences. I felt like a cellophane wrapper on a pack of cigarettes. I felt like I had absolutely no secrets from the world and I couldn't pretend in my life to be strong or be happy. But the advantage of it in the music was that there were no defences there either. So it was just a really sort of pure, very emotional album. I'm not sure if you're you're a fan of it. I mean, I absolutely love that that album. Um, I I think I am. I haven't listened to it in a very very long time. I need to like listen to it, remind myself of it. I think it's very much a kind of I don't know for me bottle of wine. Yeah. Late at night, having a little think or not. <laughs> <laughs> just, just put on a nice chill record but no it's it's really beautiful it's really beautiful um but one of the struggles as i sort of mentioned was her giving up her daughter for adoption um Joni mitchell was 21 at the time when this happened and she had no money she was unwed and the father was kind of out of the picture um so at that time i mean now we would just go standard right that happens a lot but at the time that would have you know there was a lot of stigma about that kind of situation being a single mum it was kind of a scandal it was almost as bad as murdering someone um and like i say that's she, just that's just crazy isn't no, it no of course it is of course it's absolutely ridiculous that women were judged yeah. so harshly on on this you know um the father of the child left when she was i think it was like when she was like three months pregnant mm. um and like I say, even though she'd been creating music, she was absolutely broke. She wasn't making loads of money. She could barely look after herself, just like you, Kerry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but for different reasons. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, she couldn't provide for herself, let alone her daughter. So she thought the best thing to give her a better future was to put her up for adoption. And it was a decision that would haunt her for the rest of her life. Um, and certainly at this period, um, she later said... Why I wrote those songs on Blue, the point is that soon after I'd given up my daughter for adoption, I had a house and a car and I had the means and I'd become a public figure. The combination of those situations did not sit well with me. So I kind of withdrew from music and began to go inside and, and question who I, who I was. Um, and out of all of that evolved the record Blue. Um so, you know, I mean, that's quite tragic, isn't it? That she made that decision and then it wasn't that long that actually her career then suddenly really took off. Yeah. And she would have had the money to then, but then sure. it's too late. Um, and the song Little Green from the album is inspired by her having to give away her daughter. It addresses a sort of sense of loss and sorrow that she she felt from having to, to do that. The two were reunited in 1997, so she did get to meet her. Um, but they cut all contact between each other by 2001. So I don't, I don't really know what, what happened. What there. the story was. No, um, I should have probably looked into it, but then this segment would have gone on and on and on. <laughs> um, so much of the album, although about that, um, is about the sort of intense, destructive, romantic relationships that she had over the years. So that was with like Leonard Cohen, um, James Taylor and Graham Nash, and then also um, Carrie, but I'll come on to him in a minute. The song Blue was a sort of kind of crossroads for her, and she took off on her own to Europe and ended up on the Greek island of Crete. Um, this was after her breakup with, with Graham Nash. 
she found herself in a sleepy fishing village where she was in a sort of, I don't know, she sort of found it as a sort of nomadic home. Um, people lived inside man-made um, caves carved into the sandstone. The place oh. was called Matala. Um, uh, Sounds amazing. Yeah, beautiful beach. Pictures are absolutely wonderful of, of that. So here she would write the songs Blue, Carrie and California. So Matala was a kind of community of hippie backpackers that had settled in the caves. At the time, the area was sort of pretty remote, which you cannot imagine now if you go to Crete that any part of that island is <laughs> is remote. Um, you know, the locals had never seen tourists before they had arrived. It was beautiful and pretty unspoilt. The caves had originally housed lepers at the end of the Stone Age, and then the Romans used them as burial crypts. When the hippies arrived searching for peace and enlightenment, the caves became sort of like cheap accommodation, i.e. free, and there wasn't any hotels there anyway. Yeah. Um, Joni Mitchell didn't start off in a cave. She rented a cinder block hut with um, her friend Penelope. Um, and that was in a poppy field, kind of just sort of just back from the beach. Um, during this time, the junta were in control of the island. Um, and things like public ca- gatherings um, were not really allowed. So all of this kind of hippie activity was like a complete no-no. So this was a sort of secret place of, of freedom. Um, one day while hanging out at the beach, Joni and her friend Penelope heard an explosion behind them. As they turned around, they saw a guy being blown out the door of a cafe. Apparently, when he'd lit the stove in the kitchen because he worked there as a chef, um, it, it just sort of created a bit of a blast and blew him backwards out the door. He wasn't wasn't hurt, but this is how um, Joni Mitchell came to meet the man, Carrie, who she would fall head over heels in love with and obviously then inspired the song Carrie. Um, the Mermaid Cafe, that's mentioned in that song, um, is actually a real place. Uh, she went there on one of her first nights at Matala, where she went for a drink with Carrie. After that, I mean, she woke up the next morning in his cave, um, and then <laughs> Penelope decided she was going off with um, some some guy that she'd met, and so yeah. they didn't see each other for years after that. But So she woke up in the cave, and then after that she just decided to live in the cave, with him. Sorry, the cave <laughs> thing just makes it no, so no, no. Funny. Well, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> she ends up with like matted hair and just like I mean, there's no water, man. There's like you know, there's nothing. It's a cave. Living in a cave. It's not like a fancy holiday home cave. It's just a cave. <laughs> like really, it's not, it's not. It's not like a boutique cave. <laughs> no, it's not a boutique cave. It's not like something you do on Airbnb. It's a legit cave. <laughs> this is an actual. There is nothing cave. It is just a cave. Okay. And the pictures I've seen of the caves, it's like, I don't, it, that, like, it's so, un, like, where the hell would you sleep in that? That's just, <laughs> it's just torture. Anyway, so she lived in this cave with him, but it wasn't yeah. long until she started to miss her real home. What a bloody surprise. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And you can hear this in the lyrics, right? Oh, you know, it's sure hard to leave here, Carrie, but it's really not my home. My fingernails are filthy, I've got beach tar on my feet and I miss my clean white linen and my fancy French cologne. Yeah, I mean, you know, fair enough. Yeah, so she did go home. Um, Anyway, the hippie hippie community at Matala came to an end when the the junta arrived and the people were sort of moved on. Um, And today, Matala is a small village still, 
um, living mainly from tourism. And while the caves where the hippies lived is now sort of fenced off, you can't go up there, they can be visited, um, but they're protected by archaeological service. And certainly nobody's allowed to live or spend the night in them, nor would you really want to, I imagine. Um, <laughs> but that is, that's just a really small glimpse into Joni Mitchell's album, Blue. That's super interesting. But there's the thing is, I could have gone on for a whole episode of this because every single song has a story. There's even um, one of the last songs, I think it's called River on the album. It has like the, the, the kind of piano piece of Jingle Bells. She's the only person who can take like a, a jolly Christmas song and turn it into this really sad, mm. deep. It's But when, when I say that about the album and for those that haven't listened to it, I don't want to put you off. It's not something that I think that you listen to and feel miserable I feel like there's there's hope in the album Mm. still even if she didn't mean it that way there's this kind of I don't know it just feels very nostalgic the album um and there's there's a great song on there where she talks about you know last time I saw Richard was back in um 88 um, where all people make the same mistakes and it's about you know meeting him and she's all full of love and don't Mm. be stupid there's love in the world and the way the song ends is her then sat at the table later saying "loves shit" type thing? Yeah, yeah it's it's such the, the the stories in the songs are just wonderful, yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. wonderful. It's sure. it's a just true like brilliant storytelling songwriting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've got to be honest though; I'm really stuck on the whole Carrie story in general right now, where it just sounds like something out of a terrible movie, right? It's that they brilliant. meet because he like gets like blown out of the door I know I know I read this I read this stuff and I was like <laughs> and this is brilliant <laughs> but she would she because she said she said what an entrance I have to meet this man it's like but even <laughs> that like, sounds like a that terrible doesn't line happen in real life from like... I know like, when does that happen but it happens in the in hippie communities there you go Mental. but um no I really I really love that story but like I say there's um there's stories for all of all of those songs and there's a lot more detail about that that community on the on the Greek island of, of Crete. And I'll post a link to to that because it goes into a great deal more detail. And obviously, you know, when, when she does leave Matala, she goes to Athens for a little bit and it's there that she kind of I think it was I think they say in she looked in the mirror and she didn't really recognise herself with like her matted, unwashed hair and all of this and she just sort of it's like I, I need to this is not where I want to be mm. so um, <laughs> unsurprisingly but Gotta get um, out the cave. <laughs> yeah it's yeah I don't know I just it's it's such a wonderful album and I don't think I can I can think of another album that does storytelling as honestly mm. and as as well as this especially when you know that it is all personal to to her and uh, yeah, and she's actually just telling the truth of it. And at, at the time, some people were saying she was crazy to have just opened herself up like that. Um, but as she as she kind of said, as in, is it is it wrong that people make mistakes? Um, that they that they worry that they they do things that are wrong and and they regret that. Is that you know being honest? Is that a mistake? You know, yeah. and I don't think it was. But um, the the album, I mean, it, it did relatively well at the time of release, but it went on to obviously be one of the, listed as pretty much one of the greatest albums of all time. In Rolling Stone, it's in like the top three. I think it's number three mm. actually. Um, and as we know, if it's if it says that in Rolling Stone magazine, it must be true. 
It must be true. It must be true. But yeah, there you go. That's Joni Mitchell's Blue. Well, from something very sort of like deep and, and interesting and personal and listed in best lists, we're going to go to the very opposite of that. <laughs> something not all that deep, often listed in worst lists, but the really? soundtrack to many a school disco <laughs> when I was uh, at school which is Blue Dabba Dee by Eiffel 65. I think in 20 years' time, we'll look back and go, what a classic. One of the greatest songs. I mean, as much as it gets a lot of, like, stick from people, it was hugely successful. So it's not a case that, like, it was a massive hit. Like, I mean, everyone knows that song, right? Well, yeah. It was the first song that came into my head when you suggested this theme. I thought you were going to say it was the first song I ever bought. (laughs) No, unfortunately not. I wish I could (laughs) claim that, but no. Um, So, Blue Dabba Dee by Eiffel 65. So, the group are Italian and their name came from a computer called Eiffel. And then 65 just came after a note was sent with 65 accidentally written in and they believed that it was fate and that it should stay. That's a bizarre way to come up with a name. (laughs) I know, right? Well, yeah, they were called Eiffel after a computer for whatever reason. And then, yeah, somebody just randomly sent a note with 65 written after it and that became their name. But fair enough. So the song was released on the 7th of October 1998 in Italy by Bliss Corporation and became internationally successful the following year. It was the lead single off of their debut album, Europop. Um, The song is the group's most popular single. I can't say that I could name any other (laughs) songs by them, if I'm honest. Um, But it reached number one in many, many countries' music charts, including Ireland, the UK, the Netherlands, France, Sweden, Switzerland, Spain, Portugal, Canada, the UAE, Russia, New Zealand, Israel, Lebanon, Finland, Norway, Belgium, Australia, Austria, Greece, Germany, and Hungary, as well as reaching number six in the US. Wow. So it did pretty well for a pretty random song. It, I mean, it is pretty random. And uh, the, the random appeal across the globe. Obviously, well, exactly. they, they hit onto something. People love some nonsense lyrics. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <clears throat> so the original charted first of all at number 39 in the UK, purely on import sales, and was only the third record after the Jams, That's Entertainment and Lou Baker's Mumbo Number no. 5 um, to make the UK top 40 just on import sales. I've got to be honest, I don't really know what that means. I was going to say, well, what does that mean? Surely it's still sales, imports. So was it not... What? What? I don't, no, I don't. I don't understand. I was going to try and explain. Maybe, that... maybe during the next bit of live live music. Yeah, we've got a band <laughs> right behind me, waiting um, in the wings. <laughs> waiting in the wings. Um, yeah, um, I should have checked that, but I don't really. I'm not entirely sure what that let's, means. Let's that... Google it when we play the next. Yeah, the next but track. That, that's a thing and was an achievement. Um, so it was written by um, the Eiffel 65 lead singer Jeffrey G, the keyboardist Maurizio Labina, and producer Massimo Gabut. I'm sure that Sonia's going to come at me about my pronunciations. But um, the song started uh, The song started with the piano hook. So that was sort of the thing that, that started the idea for the song. And then the producer came up with the idea of making it a dance song. And G's inspiration for the lyrics came from the idea of how a person chooses their lifestyle. So he said, I started thinking about this character I invented called Zerotti and the lifestyle he led 
from the way he would buy his house, pick his girlfriend, his job or the neighborhood he would live in. Then I came up with a color, a color I thought described the way he saw things. So okay. that's the idea behind the song. It's like blue is supposed to be sort of this color that represents this person's lifestyle and the way that they they see it and the choices mm-hmm. that they make. Um, so the vocals on it, sort of the sound of the vocals were a thing that was sort of up for debate as to how um, they got that sound. Because um, it's sort of a distorted sound that something like auto-tune um, and Cher had had a hit with Believe using auto-tune um, a year before the song was released. And so many assumed that they'd also used auto-tune on the song. But anyone who tried to replicate it sort of realised they couldn't do it that way. So the logical answer was that maybe it was a vocoder that was used on songs like Let's Groove by Earth, Wind and Fire and Mr. Blue Sky, which I'm going to talk about next by ELO. Um but in attempts to recreate it, um, they figured out, they sort of realized it was created using a vocal harmonizer. Um, so, you know, creating vocals out of one, uh, harmony vocals out of one voice um, and then adjusting the pitch to create the sort of distortion-y sound that makes it okay. sound a bit like auto-tune on there. Um, it's known amongst other things uh, for being a song where the lyrics are often misheard. So, do you have some of the... Oh, I do. So, first <laughs> of all, um, well, many people thought the chorus was I'm blue and I'm in need of a guy, which led people to think the song was about homosexuality, um, but it's not. It's I'm blue, dabba dee dabba die. It <laughs> <And> has nothing <laughs> to do with homosexuality. It's just nonsense lyrics. But yeah, there are many other things that people think that it is. So uh, people think that it's... I'm blue and I believe I will die. Grim. God, there's that's lots depressing. of there's a lot obviously because it's dabbity dabba die, lots of this yeah. is to do with dying. I'm blue, I will bleed, I will die. I'm blue, if I was green, I would die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blue and in need of a diet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm blue apple tree, I will die. Hang on. I don't get how that you get that one from it. Uh, I mean, because I, I've listened and I've tried to hear some of these. You can definitely hear some of them. I'm not sure about I'm blue, apple tree, I will die. It's the tree bit doesn't fit. Yeah. I'm blue, I believe I'm a guy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm blue, without speed, I would die. <laughs> uh, I was going to comment something about that, but no. I'll leave that right. for <laughs> So when I release um, my memoirs, huh? <laughs> I, I, I will leave that fact until I release my memoirs at some point. Um, Interesting. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, as I say, so, I mean, it was hugely successful internationally, um, but it does appear on a few worst lists. So Rolling Stone once placed the song in their list of the 20 most annoying songs um, at number 14. And the video and the video for the song was listed in NME's fifty worst music videos ever. So I want to talk a little bit about the music video. I don't remember so, the music video for this. Oh, it's so special. So um it's like a green screen kind of computer generated graphics type vibe. I'm gonna read you word for word because I just read it and it made me laugh. The video the synopsis for the music video okay. from Wikipedia, okay? Okay. 
The video takes place on Tucon 4, where lead singer Jeffrey G is abducted by blue-coloured aliens Zerotti and Psyok 6 during a concert. The aliens then proceed to leave Earth with him. Group members Maurizio Labina and Gabri Ponti chase after them in their own small spacecraft and eventually both ships arrive on the Blue Aliens planet via a portal. Okay. I mean, already you're sucked in, right? Like, I am. I, I, like, I like a bit of sci-fi. I think this sounds great. It is then shown... Oh, wait, you need to watch it, though. It is then shown that G was abducted to perform in a concert for the aliens, with him singing the same song he was about to sing when he was taken. What a coincidence. He slowly realises that the crowd consists entirely of strange blue creatures, which are known as Tuconians, and becomes increasingly concerned. (laughs) (laughs) After fighting off a number of alien guards using martial arts and several energy-based psionic abilities, including force lightning, Labina and Ponty succeed in rescuing G. While leaving the planet, they are asked to return by the aliens. They oblige and spend the remaining duration of the video performing a concert for the blue-skinned extraterrestrials with Zerotti joining them on stage, creating a friendship between the band and the creatures. I need to see this video. This sounds the, amazing. The it's better than just vid- like having a white backdrop and just having a bloody band playing in just, front of it. It's, but it's, the quality is so terrible. <laughs> The animation. The, the final line of this is my favourite. The events in the video share no relation to the song's lyrical content, apart from the fact that the aliens all have blue skin. <laughs> <laughs> now, we all know uh, how you love a quiz, Angela. Yeah. And how I hate a quiz. Yeah. So I've made you a little quiz. Oh. <gasps> Doesn't mean I'm going to be good. I like them, but I'm terrible at them. But I'll give it a go. It's designed to make you feel about quizzes how I feel about quizzes. Okay, that's all right. I've designed it to be annoying. Okay, that's all right. (laughs) It's only four questions, though. Okay, go for it. So here's my first question. How many times is the word blue said in the song? Oh, I reckon 48 times. Not a bad guess. It's less than that. Less? Yeah. Um, 36. Very, very close. 30 times. Where? 30 okay. times. I mean, that's a lot of times to that's, say one yeah. word in a song. Not, not as much as, you know, it could have been more annoying, couldn't it? It could have been 48 times. I mean, to be fair, it pretty much just repeats the same lyrics sort of over and over. So it's just a case of like how many times they chose to repeat it as to how many times it would say it. So, so um, I was talking about the extended version. The 12 inch version. To be fair, there probably is an extended version and you could totally be right. So, you know, that's fair. Um, can you name three things that the character in the song says are blue? No. <laughs> oh, let me do, okay, a car. Yeah, blue Corvette. Okay. Blue Corvette. Um, um, shoes. No. Well, um, talk, so he says all the things I wear. So yeah, okay, you can have shoes. I'll give you shoes. He talks about his clothes, shoes. all the things he wears. Um, a blue lagoon. <laughs> he doesn't say that at all. <laughs> <laughs> There's no blue lagoon. He talks about his blue house, his blue little window, blue Corvette, yeah. all the things he wears, blue trees, blue, uh, blue streets, blue trees. His girlfriend is blue. All the people around him are blue and his feelings are blue. Pretty blue then. 
So it's all very blue. It's all very blue. You ready? You're gonna love this one. What's yep. the tempo of the song? Uh oh, uh 130 BPM. Oh, so close. One two eight BPM. Oh, I like a quiz. I thought that was good. I got everything oh, wrong, but that's I've okay. Done, I've not made it annoying enough. I'm gonna work harder next time. Um okay, last <laughs> question. How long did it take them to write the song? 15 minutes. Like all <laughs> I, knew, Christmas I, knew, songs. I knew you would say 15 minutes, not 15 minutes. It was longer than that. Okay. Um, it took them, I'm going to go for something really long, actually. I, I, I'm going to say it took them two days. To it's, write. Some, it's somewhere between 15 minutes and two days. <laughs> oh, the options. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to say they wrote it in. A working day, seven hours. Oh, no. Two hours, apparently. Uh, Two hours they wrote the song. Two hours. Yeah. That's it. Well, that was good. I thought I liked you the did. quiz. I did terribly. I, I didn't I'm, get anything right, but, you know. I'm, I'm annoyed that you enjoyed that. I wanted it to annoy but you. That's, gonna... But that's the thing about quizzes. It's not about being like, you know, the knowledge. It's <laughs> The knowledge. It's just about, you know, having a go, getting involved, Kerry. I just can't always be right about things, Keza. Yeah, but we, you know how I feel about that. It's the joy of knowledge. It's like now I feel informed. Now I know all the answers to those <laughs> they, questions. It's going to be really important to your life. You, to you know never know. You never know. In Blue, Blue Dabadee by Eiffel 65, they say the word blue 30 times. Do you know the saddest part about that? What? Is that I didn't find that 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 fact wasn't like written somewhere. Like I listened to the song and I counted it. <laughs> <laughs> so for someone who hates quizzes, you went to a bit of an effort. I did. To, I went through a lot to, of effort. to write these questions. I did, and uh, it didn't quite work out how I wanted it to. But that's fine. It's all right, Kerry. Well, you know what? You'll just have to keep doing quizzes until until I get bored of them. Which will never happen. So now I've just got a massive smile on my face. I, just had a <laughs> I know you enjoyed that far too much, which was not what I was going for, but that's fine. I love it. Thank you very much. And now I think we should celebrate with a new song. Let's do it. Yes. So um, the next one I've got for you is by a band called Moses, who I've known for for quite some time via Cafe St. Luce. They're absolutely incredible live. Um, Pogoing around on stage. There is, there is a lot of pogoing There's a lot of pogoing around. That's There's true. a lot of energy. A lot of and, energy. And you can't help but be drawn into it completely with that. Like, yeah, there's there's no sort of grumpy standing people around the, the stage on that. Everyone is up dancing. They're, they're great. But, yeah, so they're a four-piece from London. How I'd normally describe their stuff is kind of probably a nod towards... Um, 90s indie guitar bands when they had a bit of grit so before it became fluffy brit pop as as you know the really poppy sort of stuff although this stuff is catchy so don't don't get me wrong with that but it, you think catchy. sort of if you think like early blur when they they yeah so more um chemical world than country house or whatever it's called lives in a house a very big house in the country Terrible song. Um, <laughs> anyway, yes, so they've got a lot of attitude. And their, their latest single is a little bit different from, from the kind of rock and roll swagger that you'd normally expect from this band. I think it shows a kind of level of, of maturity 
and uh, a side of them that you wouldn't normally not wouldn't normally see. Um, and I, I think I think it's a fantastic sh- song, and it just is just testament to their um, ability to write. So they're not like a one trick pony or anything like that. Um, really, really amazing writing skills. This band. So I'm just gonna. I asked them to kind of sum it up in their words on how they describe it because this is this is a song that I really wasn't expecting, but I really, really love it. And you'll you'll hear why in a moment. So um, as they say, is if you've listened to our music, you'll notice that Pawns is different to anything we've previously released. It's not energetic, energetic rock and roll like most of our songs, but a primal, desperate call inside of us for a life, for light, for the circle of life. So, um, yeah, I think I think that kind of sums it up pretty well. So without me waffling any more on that, this is Pawns by Moses. Forget my hope for a sunny light oh, On my ghost of the star I'll be New horizons, all you do is gone Analyzing me without a word One, two, three, another you, another her Another me, one, two, three, another you, another her, another me. All my feelings fight, and my soul went right. If I could go far away, I get lots of praise on the winning day, and all my hopes round. Down the way One, two, three Another you Another her Another me One, two, three Another you Another her Another me Hear me out Cause my whole life Cause my whole time is fading away Shouting out loud Hope you'll hear me Hope you'll hear me Beautiful day One, two, three Another you Another her Another me One, two, three Another her Another you, another me So that was Pawns by Moses and they do have a debut album out called Almost Everything Is Bullshit which is which is out now so you can go and stream it, buy it all of that jazz do go and listen to their stuff on spotify or wherever you else you get your digital music fix but if you can hop on over to uh band camp and actually purchase something it really does make a difference but that that's moses fantastic band so what did you think of that song like really really cool like you said really really different and like they said really different to kind of what i'm used to hearing from them but in a way i really like like it's still catchy like it's still got that. It's still them. It's still yeah, very it's still them. them. You still know that that's Moses. 
but much more sort of understated and sort of moody. Um, and yeah, I think their description of it was perfect, actually. I think that that really summed yeah. it up um, perfectly well. I don't think I can say anything better than what they said, to be honest. No, exactly. And the thing is, I was already a fan of the band. And I, I don't know, from hearing that, you just think, oh, you know, this is this is kind of different direction-wise for them, but it's still really, really cool. So I'm just quite excited to sort of see what they come up with with next yeah really. definitely so uh yeah moses check them out right well with we're at the last the last segment of the show and i've got quite a short one to do uh we're talking about songs with the color blue in them um and we've also been playing new music you heard earlier had a b and moses just now and we do have another track uh that's going to take us out the end of the show um, but we'll talk about that one in a moment. Um, Kerry, are you ready for my final track that I selected? Bring it, I'm ready. Now, I could have picked Elastica Blue, I could have picked True Blue by Madonna. There were just so many songs, actually, with blue in the title. But I decided to pick Pale Blue Eyes by The Velvet Underground. Hmm. Yes. Now, do you know... Kerry, quiz question. Oh, don't quiz me. Yeah. Do, do you know? Well, it's just a question. It's not a quiz necessarily. I'm asking you something. So if I was to ask you the time, would you go, oh, God, a quiz question? <laughs> Fucking hell, quiz question. What are you drinking? God, another quiz question. I will now, yeah. I just It's just a way for me to stop people from asking me questions. That's really all it is. Right, okay. Do you know, and don't Google it, um, how the Velvet Underground got their name? I do not. Don't want to hazard a guess. They were wearing velvet on the tube. That is exactly right. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's 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 a good guess. That's a fair guess. Thanks. I'll give you a point for that, for trying. Cheers. Um, you know, not just going no and leaving it like that. You know, <laughs> I mean, actually getting involved. Now participating. <laughs> Didn't you feel, don't you feel better for no, it, Kerry? Look, you're laughing. Infinitely you're worse. You're smiling. It can't be true. You look happy. <laughs> <laughs> they were named after a mass market paperback porno novel about the secret sexual underworld of the 1960s. And that was written by that. Michael Lee. Um, and it remains in print today, probably because the band appropriated its its title and people are intrigued and, and whatever. I'm not intrigued enough to get it, but you know, you can get that book if you so choose to. I'll see if it's on Amazon and I'll post a, a link or, or something. Um, the song Pale Blue Eyes was the start of a new chapter and a new direction. So much like the Moses song, mm-hmm. you see? See what I'm doing there? Trying to tie things making together. Making links. Yeah, making trying to, links. Trying to make out that we're organised in I life. planned it to be like that. <laughs> um, it was written by Lou Reed and it's the fourth track from the A-side of the Velvet Underground um, vinyl, that's kind of the third album. Uh, Lou Reed is quoted saying um, this about the album. I really didn't think we should make another white light, white heat. I thought it would be a terrible mistake. I really believed that. I thought we had to demonstrate the other side of us. Otherwise we would become this one dimensional thing. And that, you know, and that should be avoided at all costs. Pale Blue Eyes is practically the exhibit A of this statement. It's calm, relaxing, almost a lullaby, and it's simply a sweet love tune as opposed to the violent lyrics and drug-soaked imagery of our previous efforts, um, which I think I think is is a fair statement to make, actually. 
And obviously, a fair statement seeing it's the person who wrote it, so they know more about it than anyone <laughs> probably, else. Probably the one to um, be trusted on the exactly, subject. Exactly, exactly. Um, so despite the name Hell Blue Eyes was um, was written about someone who had hazel eyes. Oh. So maybe it was kind of, you know, you know, like how some people change the name of someone in uh-huh. like a fictional thing. You know, we've, the story's true, but we've changed the names. <laughs> Change the colour of to the protect, eyes. To protect their identity. Yeah, exactly, to protect the identity. <laughs> or it's just because it, m- <laughs> it worked better in the lyrics. <laughs> no, Kerry, could never have been that. Anyway, so it was written about someone whose eyes were hazel. Um, as Reed notes in his book Between Fault and Expression, the song is said to have been inspired by Shelley Albine, um, Reed's first love, basically, who at the time was married to another man. Um, so it's a proper, proper love song. Um and it's simple, but a good one. Um, you know, the lyrics are kind of like, uh, well, not kind of like they are. Um, Fort View is my mountaintop. Fort View is my peak. Fort View is everything I've had but couldn't keep. Um, the lyrics are quite simple and honest and sweet. Like, you know, I think there's a reason why this song has resonated with with so many people over the, over the years and certainly lots of... Um, artists have covered this song can you feel a question coming up Kerry oh, I don't I don't know the answer <laughs> oh, come and have a guess who do you think's covered it pale blue eyes I don't know I can't gosh the silence the silence <laughs> the stress that's happening my heart's pounding <laughs> all right I won't I won't give you a heart attack um Thanks. okay so Patty Smith has covered it um yeah edwin collins mm-hmm. i mean i only thought edwin collins did have like one song mm. never met a girl like you before <laughs> that's the one <laughs> <laughs> that that one that's um, a beautiful rendition of it yeah well. i thought it was spot on um yeah. rem covered it the kills counting crows andrea core um elizabeth cook I don't know who that is. Um, <laughs> and, and the list goes on. The list goes on. Um, okay, some random facts about the Velvet Underground, because I told you this would be quite short, because I can't mm-hmm. really find too much about, about that song, but it kind of scrapes it in because it's got the colour blue in there and I get to talk about <laughs> the Velvet Underground. <laughs> did you know, Kerry, that the drummer was a woman? I did not. Did I know Mo, that? Mo no, I did. I did. I did know that. Yeah, Mo Tucker. And her playing style yeah, was kind of unconventional because she played standing up rather than seated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did um, Using a kind of simplified drum kit of toms, a snare drum, and an upturned bass drum, and playing with mallets rather than drumsticks. Yeah. And when she she quit the band, um, sadly, and this this just goes to to show how much money they were making at the time. Um, when she left. She went to work in Walmart. Wow. Um, yeah, which is which is quite a, a change, isn't it? Um, okay, so I've got I've got a few more little facts, not too many, but um, I thought this was quite a sad one, which is fitting for the blue element of of January, um, for its reputation. Um, Lou Reed's father was a tax accountant. God, that's depressing. Depressing. <laughs> no, it gets worse. Sorry. Um, well, I mean, yeah, but I'm sure it's it not does, just that. That alone is quite depressing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
um, who raised him with the expectation that he would take over the family business. When little Lou turned out to be more of a handful than they'd bargained for, his parents signed their son over to the Creedmoor State Psychiatric Hospital, where Lou Reed suffered eight weeks of electric shock therapy at the age of 17. That's crazy. That is fucking awful. Yeah, that's really awful. That's... Like Jesus, you know, I thought I thought I had it tough as a teenager, like a grumpy teenager self, and not being allowed to go all the places I wanted to go. But that kind of puts a different spin on it. <laughs> that's, you know? a, that's next level discipline, that's, right? There. That's that's harsh. Yeah. That's really evil, actually. Yeah. It is. Um, did you know that Andy Warhol managed the band for a short while? No. The artist. And, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I obviously know that he has like a, a relationship with the band, right? And designing yeah. the cover and everything. But yeah. um, no, I don't know that I knew that he managed them. Yeah, he, um, you know, he, he basically took them under his wing and he'd have them play at all of his kind of like art shows at the factory and stuff like that. But it just it just got to the point for them where it was just a bit like, well, we don't want to just play art shows. We're a band. We should be out doing things that bands do so it, they yeah. kind of, I think there's probably more to it than that but sure. that's the short version it didn't last very long and um yeah they they were no longer managed by him um while Warhol may not have had much influence in the studio he did design the album artwork for the Velvet Underground and Nico making it one of the most recognizable album covers of all time he crafted the image of the banana in his own style and added a little something extra for the first few batches that were released. Um, the original album allowed fans to peel back the banana to reveal a flesh-coloured banana underneath. Interesting. I didn't know that. I, I knew he did the either. cover. I didn't know that there was that version. Yeah. Um, the album, which is considered a classic these days, failed to make any impact when it was released. It, it kind of flopped, basically. Um, poor record sales for all of their albums, actually, was what sort of kind of, in the end, they, they split up. Like, they're just disappointed their labels all, all the time um, with, with the sales that were coming through. In fact, the first five years of their career, they only sold around 30,000 records, which is not very much yeah. for... for um, kind of a, a decent record label size type thing. And after seven years of music making, the band called it a day. They reunited in 1990 and, of course, are critically acclaimed. Um, and I think I think pretty much they were a band before their time. Mm. Um, and, and you, you know, you hear that a lot, actually, of, of bands that, you know, we think of now that they must have been huge. They weren't huge at the time, yeah. but they're massive now and they've got, like, this huge cult status. <laughs> but, uh, but well, yeah. There is, yeah, there is very much this thing of, like, doing the right thing at the right time, right? Yeah. So, sometimes do bands do do something or artists do something that, that's amazing, but it's just not quite the right time for people yeah, to, it just to doesn't, get it. And, yeah, yeah. Well, it was like when I did the episode, it was the episode that I did on my own, actually. Um, and I covered the story of Big Star. Yeah. And very much they they were like um, a band like Velvet Underground who had incredible records and went on to inspire so many bands. Um, REM, one of them, I can't remember the list off the top of my head of the others. But at the time they didn't really sell 
very many records at all, but then had success kind of like a couple of decades later, uh, if not more than that, of which they were then playing really big shows when at the time they weren't, when, you know, when they were young and when it's supposed to be all fun and rock and roll, um, you know, it wasn't until much, much later that they got the success that that they deserved. Um, And the same with the Velvet Underground. I mean, are you you a fan? I'm not a huge fan. But I don't know that I've dedicated much time to listening to them. Revisit, revisit, seriously. I I think it's, um, yeah, definitely a band you should check out. Not everyone's cup of tea, but um, no, definitely. I was glad that I had an opportunity to cover cover a little bit of their their story but yeah so that was it pale blue eyes like the tiniest i think i said like one sentence about the song um, <laughs> fine, <laughs> I mean, some lyrics as well but that's how, the, that's how this podcast works we yeah. just dis- we disguise some... it to make it seem like it fits our theme but then we just yeah. do whatever the fuck we want <laughs> well exactly i gave you some facts hopefully they are new facts to some of our listeners um so over to you kerry okay last one Last one of the podcast, and hopefully uh, ending on a high. It's a very happy song. Uh, Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra. Love it. Great song. So uh, it was featured on the band's seventh studio album, Out of the Blue, in 1977. It was written and produced by the frontman, Jeff Lynne, and the song forms the fourth and final track of the concerto for a rainy day suite on side three of the original double album back in the days where you had vinyl with sides yeah. and all that sort of stuff um so it was the second single to be taken from out of the blue and it peaked at number six in the uk singles charts and number 35 in the u.s billboard charts and talking about it being the end of the reason I wanted to talk about it being the end of um, one of the sides of the disc is that there's a synthesized voice at the end of the song which sings please turn me over Um, that's cool yeah so it was like worked into the song yeah at the end of it it says please turn me over to tell people to turn the the disc over yeah so really cool I'd never noticed that at the end it's sort of like quite hard to hear I think in that um, synthesized voice at the end of the song because it's very very synthesized Um, but yeah it says please turn me over is that is that included on, like like if you put on a CD now or listen? Yeah, I think still... so. I think it's still there. I think it's still there in the. Oh, I'll have to have listened to that. I love facts like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One to listen out for. Um, so on a BBC Radio interview, um, Electric Light Orchestra leader Jeff Lynne talked about how he came up with the song after he locked himself away in a Swiss chalet, attempting to write um, the follow up to a New World record. So it was apparently it was dark and misty for two weeks and he didn't come up with a thing. And then suddenly the sun shone and it was, wow, look at those beautiful Alps. And he wrote Mr. Blue Sky and 13 other songs in the next two weeks. That's amazing. So pretty literally the sun came out and he was hit with inspiration on seeing the mountains. And yeah, he wrote. I mean, it's a pretty happy song. He must have been really happy. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's how I, I mean, if the fucking grey clouds would part tomorrow and i'd see the sun i'd feel like that i'd write a happy song um so uh the song's arrangement has been called sort of beatlesque um bearing similarities to beatles songs martha my dear and a day in the life while harmonically it shares its unusual first four chords and harmonic rhythm with yesterday and i can definitely hear that i think it has that beatles vibe 
Yeah, definitely Beatles vibe in, in, in more than one of uh, their songs, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, c- I couldn't help but talk about this because the arrangement makes prominent use of a cowbell-like sound. Oh, God. Um, which is credited on the album to percussionist Bev Bevan um, playing a fire extinguisher. What? Yeah, so it wasn't a cowbell. It's the sound of um, using a drumstick to hit the side of a fire extinguisher. So you're going to get one of those now as well? I mean, I just feel like I'm going to need to start hitting some random shit on our next album is all I'm going to say. Um, just to annoy you. And then... I did, not... I did, but you were, you were trying and then to get to that place. Because you were when... wandering around going, hmm, hmm, looking at all these different things. <laughs> oh, I totally like, was, I might need I? to get like a wooden block or something. And I just thought, <laughs> oh my God, you're it, right. Do that we totally really? Happened. And I started Googling music shops just yeah. phoning around to see if they had a bloody wooden block. And then, and then, I then just we just thought, nah, let's out. not, let's not do that. And then, and then when I wasn't there during the mixing process, you took out half of what I'd done anyway. <sighs> Only turned down the cowbell because it was just so overwhelming. No, you didn't turn it down. You took it out. You Did we take it out? Oh, there it was, was a good choice. It, it was a really good, good, um, good choice to do Well, that. if you'd have left it in, it could have been it wasn't a just my like decision. Mr. Blue Sky. It was, a vote. So, it was a vote. It was the three of us, three against one. Bullshit. Liar. Democracy. <laughs> So, moving on from internal band disputes. <laughs> uh, Mr. Blue Sky was one of the first songs that Lynn wrote for Out of the Blue um, while in Switzerland. Um, and in there's a book from 20, 2018 called Wembley or Bust where he said, um, we'd hired all this gear out of a music shop in Geneva and we drove up to the mountain chalet where we were staying and set it all up. There was a lovely little pub about half a mile away from the chalet. It was a great atmosphere and a nice little country location. Nobody knew who the hell anybody was and it was just great fun to be there. The lyrics to Mr. Blue Sky are simple and easy to visualise. When the song is playing, you can picture everything that's going on and everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's the thought of, oh, isn't it nice when the sun comes out? And you know, it really is. The sky is blue. Wow, what a thing. It's a simple kid's story. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it's It's just just, such a lovely happy song and it was actually um voted uh by listeners of um the uk radio station greatest hits radio um voted the song the happiest song ever in a 2020 poll (laughs) it's got to be up there isn't it i think as well the fact it was voted in 2020 like a time when you know it was obviously we just lived it a miserable (laughs) fucking year um this was obviously a song that was keeping people going throughout it and um keeping people happy so hey you with a pretty face Welcome to the human race. <laughs> that's that's lyrics from the song. That's, that's I, I'm, I'm aware. Just, okay. <laughs> I didn't th- I didn't think you were just complimenting me. <laughs> I hoped that you were, but I realised that wasn't the case. Um, <laughs> Trying to make up for the cowbell. <laughs> not bitter, not bitter at all. So, um, Jefflyn had uh, a bit of a blue streak. So. Um, other songs that he wrote for Electric Light Orchestra include Out of the Blue and Midnight Blue. So there were plenty of other blue-related songs I could have chosen, actually. Um, and one of the reasons for this may be that Lynn is from the Birmingham area um, and Birmingham Football Club uh, is called the Birmingham Blues. Um, so it, to some extent, it's sort of thought to be a tribute to, to the team. Um, and the song Mr. Blue Sky is played before the start of every football match that Birmingham City Football Club um, play. 
so many fans of the club um, sort of associate the song with a particular player as well, Trevor Francis, um, who was believed to be friends uh, with Jeff Lynn. Yeah. So there's sort of a whole connection to Birmingham Football Club as well. Um, I got that from what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, pretty, pretty. It's a pretty good song to have as a sort of, you know. It's just a great song for anything, and that's the thing. So it's been used in so many films. So I think one of the reasons that like everyone has heard this song is that it's in an absolute shitload of films. So just some here: is Mega Mind, Role Models, The Magic Roundabout, Wild Muscles, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Paul Blart Mall Cop. The Game Plan, Martian Child, The Invention of Lying, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It was used in um, Doctor Who and in the television show The Magic Roundabout as well. Uh, It was featured during the opening and closing ceremonies of the 2012 Summer Olympics. Uh, It was used in the award ceremony following the 2011 Football League Final Cup and the closing ceremony of the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Uh, It's just used for everything. (laughs) But it's, it's not an annoying song. That's no, the thing. You know not. how like really, really happy songs you're just like, oh god, sometimes. Yeah. But this, it's it's truly just a feel good. It's yeah. a really good song. Really good. I don't know anyone who doesn't like that. Agreed. Song. Yeah, I'm yet to yet to meet someone, but we probably will. Someone will someone but will not, message us after I mean, this, to, being like, I hate that song. I mean, to be honest, it's not like it comes up in conversation. Like, do, do, do you like Mr. Blue Sky? You know, I don't do you think, think I've ever I think asked it's, someone that question. But I've got uh, to say though, it's a song that I think for a long time I'd always heard and I knew the song, but I didn't know what it was or who it was by. Yeah, because it's one of those songs that's just such a like I say, it's been featured in so many things. It's just such a part of our culture that everyone knows it and has heard it, but a lot of people maybe without actually knowing what mm. it is. Well, my dad was an ELO fan. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I heard lots of their their stuff. But, you know, like, like most of his records, I didn't really give much of a thought to who they're by or what, what the stories were behind yeah. them until until later. But uh, good job on that yeah, one. Yeah, I had um, I had a, it's, I mean, and it's still a current song. I had a kid I teach, um, in a school ask to learn that song, so it's really? still around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still one around. of the one of the better requests I've had <laughs> from a child. <laughs> What's the worst? What's the worst? The worst? Oh, I don't know. So, uh, Baby Shark for sure all the oh, time God. i think we well, sort of i think we've moved past that now but there was a point where all the time we're like we want to learn baby shark i was just like no fucking way <laughs> well i i thought we'd we'd got past baby shark with beth until a couple of nights ago at bedtime um she always gets three short stories mm-hmm. before she gets into bed then she gets three songs at bedtime and that's it yeah although it never just ends i was that, gonna say i feel point. like you're already offering quite a lot it, yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like kids, you've been pushed to quite a high number well, already. Well, I, I mean, feel, I feel like you lost the negotiation there with your toddler. <laughs> well, the thing is, like the books that we read to her because of her age are really short. But my fear is she's, you know, the older she gets, they're like longer books. I'm going to be in there all night just reading to yeah. her. But um, like I said, yeah, I feel started, like you lost that negotiation. <laughs> she she went from she went from requesting you know be my baby and like really cool motown stuff to now she 
it's five current buns in the baker shop mm-hmm. and I have to do all the actions to it mm-hmm. and um, Baby Shark and this really weird song called Finger Families. That sounds very right? questionable. It, well, it's, <laughs> it's about trying to get you to kind of count your fingers and stuff. Okay. It's this finger puppet thing, but it just sounds weird. It starts off, Dad, Daddy Finger, Daddy Finger, where are you? Here I am, here I am, how do you do? <laughs> and then he goes through all the family members. Oh, God. Um, yeah, but like when she started singing, I thought, what on earth <laughs> is that song? Where has she learned that? Yeah, it is like a, wow. it's, yeah. Yeah. I've got. I don't really have anything to say about that. For most. <laughs> Rather you than me. <laughs> well, if 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 we ever meet again, I was about to say. <laughs> if I ever get to see you, if in we're, person, ever, if we're Kelly, ever permitted to be in the same room again, I'm I'm going to make you do cosmic kids yoga. I mean, it's that sounds just, a lot more exciting. It's really strange. It's really strange. There's this whole song about, hi, my name is Joe. I work in a button factory. And my boss <laughs> said to me, push the button, Joe. And it's just, it's, it's, and then she's wearing like a stormtrooper's helmet. It's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> that sounds this. amazing. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm sure this is very interesting to everyone that's listening to our podcast right now um maybe we can do zoom cosmic kids yoga together cosmic kids yoga i feel like maybe that's what i need in my lockdown life maybe that's what i'm missing out on it's quite fun do the halloween special i've I've seen it so many times it's beth's favorite because there's dancing skeletons in it you know what i'm doing tomorrow But watch the button factory one. The button right? factory one. Yeah, I have to send you a link and just just tell me that that's not completely random. <laughs> All right, in this, yeah, I'm going to send it to you. Um, anyone wants to know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, that's what I'm going to be doing. And she's going to film it and uh, put it on all our social channels. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, maybe, I'll think about it. Oh dear. Anyway, this has been Rock Pop Rambles. And we do have um, another track to play to take us to the end of the show. But before that, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listening. If you have a story or some music that you want to send us, the email address is rockpoprambles at gmail.com. And just to confuse you all, our social channels are completely different from that. Um, on Twitter, it's Bug Eye Band. On Instagram and Facebook, it's Bug Eye Music. So do come and join us on our social channels. There's a lot of good chat and it's a really nice community on there. Um, we also have a Patreon site where we're going to be launching some really exclusive content on there soon. We've got a load of remix, exclusive remix tracks that have not been released yet and we'll be previewing one a week on there um, starting from next week so you'll get access to that and then we're also going to be recording a special podcast episode a video one with all four of us um, which will go onto the patreon site so that's patreon.com slash bug so come and join us on there i've got a question got, oh it's a quiz question <laughs> not a quiz no, question, a question. <laughs> if it, oh my god the excitement um if, if, if it's a video podcast i feel like that means that we like we won't be able to edit it in quite the no, same exactly, way. No, exactly, exactly. But that's what's going to be. Gonna it's going to be, be like good, behind good closed behavior. doors. <laughs> no, no, everything stays in on that one. Oh god. 
<laughs> right. Okay. So um, I think let's let's wrap up this. Let's wrap up this show. Who who have you got, Kerry, for us? I've Last track of the night. A cheeky track from uh, Tom Lumley and the Brave Liaison called Better Than This. It was released on the 6th of November last year on Fort Records. Um, So it's been out for a little bit. Um, And what the band have said about the song is Better Than This is an anthem for a generation unheard and uncatered for by the organisations of power, not only in the UK, but around the world. A soundtrack to the current movement of youth who are tired of being ignored, patronised and used as a scapegoat. The song is a powerful declaration that will no longer be ignored and refused a seat at the table which decides our futures. They're a cool band. They're a really cool band and they're getting played absolutely everywhere at the moment and rightfully so because they're they're bloody marvellous. Yeah, um, definitely. Darren from Lost PR works with them. I think still works with them who yeah. we've worked with in the past. So, uh, so yeah, so they're, they're kind of... Uh, that's how we kind of got to know them originally was via via that link and we've we've kind of stayed friends but they're a fantastic band and hoping that we're going to be playing a show with them either this year or next year that's what i hope and also crosswires there's been little comments as in oh let's play a show together whether it happens or not let's see but i'd like that to i'd like to make that happen as soon as it's it's possible yeah to do so they seem like really great lads yeah, definitely. So yeah, brilliant band. Make sure that you go check them out on all of their social channels, on Spotify, all of those places. Like like we said, they are on the radio all over the place as well. You can't really miss them unless you're trying. So um, go check them out, Tom Lumley and the Brave Liaison. And this is better than this. Over and out.
It's only the fools that think they're stopping it It's only the fools that think 